0: welcome to the rsp cast and today you know hey look man it's kind of like reunion a reunion podcast here with 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 our old friend Dwayne mcfarland former rsp writer and of course you know head of content over at uh Yes. Uh, do I have that right? What, no, what's your no. official? You're the, yeah, f- Jordan, you're, you're Jordan f-
1: Fiegelman. Yeah. Is uh, he's chief content officer. All right. Jordan. I am director over data and analytics, Direc- yeah, I'm obviously churning out content content. Yeah. Contourds. Yeah. I'm turning out con- contourds. I hope they're better than turds. So the, yeah. I hope I, my they're articles are better than turds. Well, if,
0: if you know, d- isn't there some special turd that people use to drink like the finest coffee <laughs> with or something, you know? So if that's not. it, I don't even want to know. Yeah. I don't even want to know either, know. but I'll just say, this you know obviously we love having Dwayne every time he can come back and do a show with us and and you know it's kind of funny this week because we were thinking about doing content what we were going to do for this show and I realized that if there was anybody or any pairing of people that I think that could do like a sixty hour marathon of a podcast and probably just only be just tired and not and still have things to talk about it'd probably be Dwayne and I um, so we <laughs> actually limited this to. Players we're higher on, lower on, and uncertain about, and then our surprise offense, and we're only picking three each. So we're going to try and cover 24 players in the time that we have available. Um,
1: but, you know, Dwayne, of course, you know, big welcome back. It's always great getting to do this with you. No, man, I'm I'm so happy to be here. And obviously, you know, I always have a special play, place on my heart, like for you. Um, Mutual when buffer. I was first trying to, to break into this industry, like you were someone that, you know, Gave me a chance um, and just you know allowed me to really be me, which is what I really appreciated. Um, and you gave me a you gave me a lot of great advice as well. Um, but you know, you always just really steered me towards you know doing my thing, you know, and and doing what I was passionate about. And I think that uh, you know, without having the mentors that we get along the way in these things, like it just makes it so much harder. And you you just really helped me honestly speed up the process in a lot of ways. So. Um, I'm just very thankful and you know even more so like we've just become great friends yeah like you're somebody I can just call and you know our our conversations on the phone I think are sometimes longer than our pods so yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've got a lifelong friend and I'm I'm very thankful man so um, I'm, I'm so happy to
0: be here we're overdue right hey man right back at you you know you're one of my you're one of my favorite people in this industry and one of my favorite people in life and it's been so much fun to be able to see what you you were able to do because obviously you know It was easy to just say just be yourself because what you were doing was was you know as strong as anybody's content that's out there you know and it's and it's original and you know you're good either in writing or on air and so we're gonna we're gonna leverage that right now now that we've had the 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 bro fest for the past couple of minutes here (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but like yeah let's start with who we're higher on who who are you higher on than ADP based on the work that you've done thus far and what
1: you're you know what you're observing and why what who's your first person then we'll go back and forth yeah for me um the top one and I, and I mostly tried to confine it to players going in the top 10 rounds I definitely have some later but you know draft capital you know is not linear so if if you have a pit, if you're above 20 spots in ADP like on a on a round 13 player right yeah. that's not as significant as if you're five or six spots ahead of on like a third rounder right yeah. because those are your most valuable picks so i kind of tried to limit it to that and i will preface that most i'm referring to underdog adp right now so there will be some little differences um you know because that is best ball where everybody always takes at least two quarterbacks and things like that but overall that's one of the best parts about underdog is like wow we actually have skin in the game where people there's thousands and thousands of drafts that have already happened you know yeah. used to we'd be scrounging around like god where's this guy gonna go <laughs> oh i found an adp source where there were two drafts you know <laughs> or you're looking at mock drafts where everyone quits by round three you know yeah. and it's a farce so they can't pronounce the um, guy's name so they've just and they're drunk you know that yes. was <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah um so nick chubb um and Early on, I was not as high on Nick Chubb. Like so, my process is I work through my rankings first, and rankings are based off of a talent profile plus the team environment. But I don't dig super deep into all the nitty-gritty little details and things that go along with that. My projections, I do that next, and that's usually a you know you know how that goes, Matt. That's that's a two to four week process, you know, where I'm working through different teams at different times, and you're just turning over every single stone. So there's always my first ranks to my second ranks are always where my biggest jumps occur um you know so i put up my first set of ranks in may i had nick chubb i think rb seven uh, not rb i had him like player 17 18 19 somewhere in there um he was still in my top six or seven running backs but after i did this i was just like you know there's no way that i can hold nick chubb out of the number three running back spot like i have him above John robinson and um you know the talent profile we already knew like that wasn't something new that popped up to me you know late in the projection process like the guy's amazing we we know that right you know yards after contact missed tackles force explosive rush rate man last year matt 16 percent of his carries went for 10 plus yards like this guy's and the thing is he's been doing this his whole career almost yes, quietly be, yeah it has been quietly well now you have kareem hunt gone right so The way I look at Nick Chubb, I don't even know that he will for sure get more rushing attempts than last year because I think the Browns are going to throw the ball more. So some of what he would pick up from Kareem Hunt being gone in the run game is actually probably going to be offset by the fact that they throw the ball a little bit more, right? They've been rumored to say they want to do that with Deshaun. All their offseason moves have followed that. You trade for Elijah Moore. You don't have a lot of draft capital. You use your first pick in the draft. It was only a third rounder, but it was their first pick because they didn't have any picks due to the Deshaun trade. They go for Cedric Tillman. Um, and everything we're hearing out of out of the mini camps and everything is about the installation of you know not not installation they already same offense but how they want to throw the ball more right and it's much more about tempo and all these things so there's going to be some things offset but the way I look at it is Nick Chubb like without Kareem Hunt without Dearness Johnson all we have is Jerome Ford even if he even if I don't think he could get the 350 carries it's just hard to project him below anyone else when I. I'm pretty sure he's going to get 300 and, and I'm not projecting him for a huge target share, but he's going to be on the field more on passing downs. Like I still think, you know, Deshaun's going to scramble. Deshaun's going to try to push the ball down the field. He's not going to check it down as much, but he's going to pick up some reception. So, I just feel like it's hard to take a player that's going to have 300 carries and as good as Nick Chubb and be like, I'm just going to put B. John Robinson over him. They have a great offensive line. They could be one of the most improved offenses in the league. I truly believe Nick Chubb could be the number one running back in fantasy this year. And if the Browns aren't, you know, throwing the ball as well as they want, or if some of this stuff is just fluff about them throwing more, they've got the offensive line, Matt, that they could run more of a, offense like the 49ers or something like that, where they just make their passing game about efficiency, right? Not about running a lot more plays. And that means play action, but it means more running for Nick Chubb. So I just feel like there's so many outs. Like if the offense goes that way, then suddenly they're like, holy crap, Nick Chubb is going to have 350 carries. And he's going to have more catches than he's ever had. So I just think when you have a a player that's as talented as him, there's so many ways, so many ways to get there. And he's been doing it his whole career just on efficiency. Now, like the volume is guaranteed. We don't have to worry about, you know, Kareem Hunt. So it's just one of those things where I'm not necessarily saying, oh my God, he has to be your RB1. I, I just don't see how you take Bijan Robinson over him, though. I think Bijan has way more questions around how Arthur Smith is going to use him.
0: I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I have Chubb number five on my board at, as running back in 15th overall. Um, and I have him really, I have it in a situation where I have Deshaun Watson throwing for 4,200 yards this year. Um, and close to 30 touchdowns, so I, I'm seeing, I'm looking at that as an increase, you know, from what we saw last year. Um, with Chubb, I have him, you know, 280 attempts. I have him at 42 targets and about 32 receptions, you know, so we're looking at close to seven, a little over 1700 yards of, of offense and double digit touchdowns total. Um, I do have a fairly healthy um Stat total for Jerome Ford, um, but you, you know that's being me being optimistic that the Browns are going to rush for probably going to run the ball over 400 times and and and, and accumulate about two thousand twenty one hundred yards um, on the ground and then maybe about another four hundred in in aerial offense um, total. Um, I think that's a little bit on the aggressive side, to be honest. Um, but I I see Jerome Ford as a player who could maybe get a share of the cream hunt role, but it's not going to be the cream hunt role. It's not going to be as as um, high of a volume, and that does benefit Chubb um, from that perspective. But I totally see where you're coming from when you say, yeah, they're probably not going to run the ball as much, but he's going to be highly efficient. Um, so if any, but when I look at you know. When I look at my rankings overall, even if we just don't talk about the projections itself in the weeds, you know, I've got McCaffrey, Eckler, Barkley, and I have one other guy just ahead of Chubb that I'm going to talk about who I'm, you know, higher on, but there's a great deal of uncertainty that I have about him. I could easily see Chubb as the number three runner on my board within the next
1: month as things start to shape. I have- I yeah. have him eight spots above ADP overall. So I have him as the number nine player overall on my board. So nice. I'm taking him in a lot of drafts. I've done about 115 underdog drafts. And since like I've made these updates over the last two weeks, I find it really hard. I was, ta- I was already taking Nick Chubb in the middle of round two. And at the end of round two, now I'm really mixing him into my teams um, in the early second round. Like I don't have to take him in the first round. Cause you know, it, yeah. he doesn't go there, you know? Yeah. So you don't want to, you don't have to do that. Um, But it it makes it really hard for me to pass on him, you know, in round two. Um, And I think there is a ceiling for him to be the number one player in fantasy, period, this year. Like, because he's just just good. He's a freaking awesome player. He he used to have, you could always see that, well, wow, if
0: Kareem Hunt gets hurt, this guy with this offensive line could be a 2,000-yard rusher. Like, there's always, like, you could see it in the back of your mind of where it would go. Now it's crept up a little bit more where you go, yeah, there's... Now without Hunt, the he certainly can be in the same class as Derrick Henry in terms of rushing yards the way Henry has been in recent years. Uh, and higher. I have
1: him very similar this this is kind of a similar that's a that's the perfect comp, right? Yeah. A guy that's not I don't have him for a huge target share. I have him for seven I have him for seven percent. Yeah. You know? Um I don't have him playing seventeen games. I've only got him playing fifteen. So I mean it's like I'm being I do. That's all my running backs, but it's. Yeah. I, I feel great about him, and I and I, I think there's room for him to get a better target share than seven percent, right? Because yeah. we don't know what Elijah Moore is going to do for sure. We don't know if Cedric Tillman is going to be ready for year one. Donovan Peoples Jones, he's. I mean, he's okay. He's really, Chris the only Conley. Guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The only guy that we really know is a good receiver there that can demand looks is Amari. Yep. So like everything after that's kind of up for grabs. So I, I think there's a chance if those guys are not as good as the Browns want them to be, then, you know, we could easily see Chubb be at a 10, 12% target share, you know? Yeah. And if I change that in my projection model, well, now you're talking about a guy that is the number one running back in fantasy.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Cooper. Cooper would have been, was like fourth on my list of three um, to talk about that. I'm higher on because I, I looked, you saw what he did last year. And I think a full year with Watson, you know, puts that in mind, but the guy that I have higher, than I think I'm seeing on ADP is the rookie Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Um, I, I look at Seattle, and I understand that when you look at what they've done in the past, they've done a lot of two tight ends, they run the ball a fair bit, but when I look at what they, I think there's a difference between what they did and what they wanted to do. Because when Shane, it was Shane Waldron, they got over from the Rams, and the Rams love to run the eleven personnel offense. And three years ago, they drafted D. Um, Eskridge in Eskridge, the second yeah. round, and he was—he's that guy who could play slot and outside, unbelievably, a really good big play guy. Massive concussion year one, and then second year he didn't—he failed to emerge. Kind of nicked up a little bit, but also just really didn't um, acclimate fast enough. So when you draft Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round and his metrics profile has a lot of similarities to guys like Cooper Cup. His route skills are very strong. His release skills are also very really strong. And you're not you, you it it this is not going to be at the expense of Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. It's a you know it's gonna be at the expense of the tight ends. So when Pete Carroll says something to the effect when asked, you know are you going to use, you know, you know, what about your tight ends or what about your offense? He's not going to say, well, we really didn't want to use our tight ends the past two years. (laughs) We didn't really, you know, or D. Eskridge really kind of screwed us when he got hurt and we couldn't do what we wanted to do. You know, there's some coaches who say that, but most of them aren't in the league for very long and get away with it. You've got to be prepared for the fact that you may need those tight ends you may need D. Eskridge. So you got to keep them motivated and say, well, we're going to keep those guys involved and we're really excited about what's going on with them, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But you don't draft Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round, have a Rams former Rams coordinator, and run an offense where you're not going to feature him as your Cooper Cup-esque type of player in terms of role. So I anticipate when I look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, I see a player who... Can come right in and be a red zone threat um, in the way that they used Cooper Cup in the red zone um, and be a high volume guy. I I'm projecting 105 targets for him this year, uh, and I see him as a 70 catch player in the realm of 800 to 900 yards and about you know somewhere between five and seven touchdowns. I'm at six touchdowns right now. For me, that's an early that you know that's a. That's a second or third wide receiver that you're going to take off the board. You don't have to take him there. um, But I think you're getting, you're going to get that kind of volume out of him. So I'm higher on him than most, you know, when I look at my, when I look at my board with him, I have him ranked right now as, let's see, my, he's, he's my 30th receiver on my board. and that's almost a that's about a half a round higher than where he's going right now, um, but when it when it's overall in terms of where I've got him placed, you know I'm even it's even more of a stark difference, you know in, in terms of ADP. I'm really about two rounds higher than where a lot of people are, um, you know in terms of drafting him.
1: Yeah, so JSN is like just one of the most fun players to talk about there, there's also a very just just a really wide range of outcomes for him um there is some uncertainty because you know Pete Carroll likes to run the ball and he does this stuff with the tight ends but I agree with you in my projections I have them going to a three wide offense because I'm just yeah. historically while coaches will show really strong trends around certain things trend breakers are players and JSN is a trend breaker as a player. You're not going to draft him in the first round and take him off the field. And if you do, you're an idiot. And and the opposing defense will say, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I can sleep better at night now, knowing that I don't have to play against DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba on forty five percent of the plays because you want to run your two tight end set. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. Like, so I just don't see him doing it. As 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 stubborn as he may be about certain things they can still run and do all the other things they want to do out of 11 personnel you already mentioned they've got the right coordinator to do that shane waldron knows how to run you know uh mcveigh's offense now he doesn't he's not necessarily the play calling sequencer that mcveigh is which was really a lot of the magic sauce we never talk about is about sequencing and setting things up not just knowing a playbook but still i think it is going to unlock the 11 personnel and in fact i have jackson smith and jigba at an 80 percent route participation um I've got DK Metcalf at 87% and I've got Lockett at 85%. So I have them playing 11 personnel yeah. period like and I thought long and hard about this one cuz I mean you know when I'm doing my projections I'm really looking for medians but I just really had a hard time forcing myself into any scenario where I was like oh yeah Jackson Smith at you know Jackson Smith and Jigba at 60%. It just doesn't make any sense and he's just the kind of player that I'm willing to be wrong on. Exactly. Because he's so good. Like, in the wide receiver supermodel that I created over at Fantasy Life, like, you know, he came out 90th percentile. Uh, that's one of the best receivers we've seen in the last seven years. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people, oh, well, he can't do this. He can't create explosive plays. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. he, had a, he had one of the highest explosive play rates, which is basically how many of your targets you turn into 15-plus yard receptions yeah. yep. um, in the last seven years. If we're going to talk um,
0: breakaway plays, that's a different story. But that's a we're talking over 40 yards and who's keeping track of that
1: on. Yeah. He's not, he's not not going to get out there and run. Yeah. He's not. And we don't want him to, but this is the same thing you get with Cooper cup. You see how many big plays Cooper cup makes. You see how many big plays a Monroe St. Brown makes that. That's the kind of player that JSN is where, and we you know honestly you don't want fa- you don't want players on your fantasy team at least not you're drafting highly just you don't want the guys that are out there running go routes all the time That's like right. they don't get targeted that often yeah. you want the guys that are catching the ball you know uh, against zone coverage in between the linebackers and safeties the NFL plays zone 70% of the time and i do think it's going to be jason's role having said all this like i love the player um i am actually way in on Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's my fourth rostered receiver. I've got 115, right around 115 drafts done. I'm over that somewhere now, but 20% of my teams have JSN on them. Um, yeah. So that's the fourth most out of everyone.
0: Yeah, like, you know, down, I don't know whether it's a regional thing or not, Dwayne, but we, we can classify Pete Carroll as he may be dumb, but he ain't stupid. You know, <laughs> and I think that that's basically what what we can sum up is that the,
1: Seattle may be dumb. And Waldron's going to be in but... his ear, man. Yeah. Like, Waldron's going to be Bugging him about this all the time. It's gonna even if Pete wants to do that, Waldron's gonna be trying to wear him down. Like, yeah. Look, once they see him in camp, and they've already—I mean, it's already been like glowing reviews, right? Yeah. But it's just—I don't see a way. Yeah, yeah. Kobe Parkinson,
0: Will Disley, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. It's not even close. You know, it's just please. So, especially in the red zone, because the the way that you can do things with running the ball even from the slot um, even with a, an 11 personnel set, There's they're going to have a lot more flexibility in the red zone to be able to run plays they are going to generate wide open looks for those receivers. So who's your second guy that you're higher on? Uh,
1: my second guy is Christian Watson, who I'm really interested in you know talking with you about because essentially I think what's happening here like number one, we've got a, a small sample, but I think that People are still hanging on to like their thoughts about him in pre-draft which does matter like the way i grade year two receivers their collegiate career still counts but their rookie season now has more weight right and the way that i'm looking at at what's going on but i mean he had the second round capital but he came from the small school so a lot of people were just out on him um and then the first thing folks will reference is they'll say well you know he just had a 15 percent target share last year well in the games where he was fully healthy and he got to play a full-time role, he had a 23% target share in those games. So this is a guy that was earning targets. That is the number one indicator that a wide receiver is good. Now, there are layers after that, right? Okay, what can you do with said target? Where all can you earn the targets? Can you earn them in all areas of the field? You know, there's a lot of things. But very basic level, if you're not good, your quarterback's not going to throw it to you. That's just kind of how it works. If you are good, like, your quarterback is going to throw it to you, regardless of the scheme. Like, that's just kind of the way it is. But with Watson, like, I think his target earning ability is better than what people think. And then you see the upside that he has. He is a player that can beat double. He can split safeties and corners, you know, and still beat them deep. Doing things like you see Tyler Lockett do in the past, right? Not very many players can split that. And, and went over the top. So he has very deceptive speed. He looks a little crazy, I admit, when you watch him play, like things don't always seem perfectly in sync. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you kind of, you're like, ah, how'd that work? But it works. Um, you know, we've seen him work over the middle, we've seen him work underneath. He's not just, and the other thing I hear referenced is, oh, he's just a deep threat. Well, I mean, he caught a seven yard slant and took it to the house from Jordan Love and his one start. Uh, you know, I saw, I I mean, I I certainly know because I'm a Cowboys fan. You know, he toasted the Cowboys on crossers that were not all deep plays. So I don't know that he's the best route runner or anything, but I think he's a weapon. And he's only, you know, he's a baby. I mean, he just came in the league. That's the other thing I hear is age. But we see this with guys that come from small schools. They don't come out of college early. Like agents don't encourage guys from schools that, you know, aren't big. To come out early they you're gonna need a full body of work because the teams aren't gonna spend aren't gonna be willing to take as much of a risk on you cooper cup was old when he came out and he was coming from a small school so this is the sort of thing that you know you got to look at the full context in my opinion of the picture and and i know there are concerns with christian watson's hands and things like that but really good players like this even if their drop rate slightly higher than the nfl average it usually doesn't keep quarterbacks from throwing them, throwing them the ball because they're willing to take a few drops because they know the big plays can come. So, I'm seven spots ahead of ADP on Christian Watson, and then out of all the wide receivers that are going, you know, in the first four rounds of drafts, um, he is the one. Actually, actually, after after Amon Ross, St. Brown, he's my guy that I'm the highest on. I've got 17% exposure to him over on Underdog. You know after you get past those rounds, I have guys that I have a, a lot more of, but these are guys that have to go in the first four rounds of your draft that I'm using kind of as a qualifier. So I really like him. There are questions around Jordan Love, but Jordan Love just basically just needs to not be terrible, right? For Christian Watson to give you a wide receiver two season. and that's where he's going is a wide receiver a low end wide receiver two, but I think he has high end wide receiver two upside. and if you get lucky, he could he has the skill set to give you wide receiver one production, you know, because of the big plays. You know, so I I really like him. So interested in your thoughts.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny. I'm also exactly seven spots above ADP. Oh. With, with, with <laughs> I thought you were going to try to calm
1: me down on Watson. Man. No, I'm like, I'm damn a fan. it, Matt. I'm
0: a, <laughs> I'm a fan too. Um, I when I look at him, when when you described how he can be a little wild and a little, you know, he looks a little strange and crazy at times. Well, I remember Terrell Owens in his first couple of years and that was very similar in that respect. I don't think he's Another that. small school guy, Chattanooga. Yeah, another small school guy. So I mean on that level, Javon Walker was another player who was kinda had to grow into his paws a bit and oh, yeah. you know, things didn't work out for him long term due to off field. But his good his one good season he was a monster. And I think that Christian Watson is as kind of a, a Javon Walker type of player that's who I compared him to pre-draft stylistically and yeah the hands need a little bit of work but you described you described that excellently couldn't agree with that more and my biggest concern is just Jordan Love that's that's really it because he gets open and when people talk about deep you know that he just runs deep routes let's remember that speed isn't the only thing that gets you open on a vertical route you actually have to have some nuance as a route runner. And when I want, and I know Patrick Peterson isn't the same player he once was, but if if you're a rookie from a small school and you whip Patrick Peterson on a vertical route in a, you know in one in, in your first game in the NFL, and yeah, it clanked off his hands. But I remember watching that play, and I was like, That was right out of the gate. Yeah, I was like, we're good to go. This this kid's gonna be this kid can run a route. The route that he knows how to run, he runs well, and he's gonna get better. Like the, it was all there for me to see with the, that exception. Then when he started to you know show more consistency and, and get targets mid to late year, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there's he, he may never these be...
1: finishes Matt. Uh, 30 the, So this is yeah. PPR. He takes over the full-time he had concussion problems, and he had soft tissue stuff yeah. after week one. He got hurt in week one. Week two, he got hurt and missed week three. Yeah. right then he played very sparingly week 4 and 5 18% and 21% of the routes and he was on the injury report heading into those games then he gets shut down again then they kind of start to ramp him up week 8 he gets 8% week 9 23% and then week 10 boom 88% route participation points. The next week, 78% route participation, 21.1 points. Next week, 21 points. Next week, 24.4 points. Next week, 8.6, then 11. He had a stinker in week 17 with two, and then he finished out the season with a a 17-point performance. And let's
0: remember, who was injured during training camp? Christian Watson.
1: mm -hmm. Everyone was
0: talking about Romeo Dubs making a big play every week or every day in a session. No one was talking about Christian Watson because he couldn't get on the field. He wasn't even practicing. Uh, uh, You know, it was kind of like an Odell Beckham thing or like some other guys who missed, A.J. Brown missed a good portion of his preseason too. So if you come in and you're doing all of what Dwayne just described and you didn't even get the rapport with Aaron Rodgers from the summer because you're banged up, yeah, I'll take that all day as a player who's, Got a lot of growth potential ahead of him, and is good right now. So, for me, my second guy is Sam Laporta, <laughs> and and I'm you know I love Dalton Kincaid. Like to me, like I think Dalton Kincaid has the potential to be t- tight end one this year. Like I, it's not a high end. Um, I'm not. I don't have a high level of confidence that that will happen. But I think that there's a there's a world where that could happen, and it's not as bizarre of a world people may envision but Sam Laporta to me I think is just in is in the same neighborhood of where I rank um Kincaid, which is as a low end tight end one right out of the gate and the reason that is is that people look at tight end and they think orig- they think you know really that they mostly play inside and underneath and they already have a guy in Amon Saint Brown who does that. So how's that going to work out in terms of routes run? But from when you watch Laporta's tape at Iowa, one of the things that he does really well is that they can put him outside on the perimeter and have him run short and intermediate routes, and he runs them with the efficiency of a wide receiver. I mean, in terms of the techniques that you're looking for to gain separation, he can he can win in that area of the field. So whether they want to use Amon Ra St. Brown more on the outside or whether they're going to keep him on the inside and they use Laporta a little bit more as a short and intermediate perimeter player, I think you're going to see that Laporta gets, his targets aren't going to interfere as much with Amon Ra St. Brown's volume as maybe some people may just hypothesize with that. And he's already starring well in camp. He's going to be a red zone factor. Maybe not a 10 touchdown player, but I think he can be, you know, five to seven touchdowns. I think he can get that out of the gate this year. And with his after the catch skill, his great zone route running in the middle of the field, and his ability again to match up outside on short and intermediate routes, I I I will not be surprised at all if he's the second or third leading receiver um on the Detroit Lions this year. Yeah, I I also
1: love Laporta. I kind of make the joke that Laporta earned his first target, you know, while he was still in his when he was still in his mother's <laughs> womb. Like this guy and like to say that the offense he had to play in was bad is like an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. college, like yeah. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. had some major, he had major quarterback challenges. Um, so when you look at a player like that, I think the primary thing you want to see is did they earn the targets because they're clearly going to be lower in things like yards per route run um, because the quarterback play impacts that. So you have to remember that. And this guy was just, you know, he broke out really early. Um, you know, as a sophomore, you know, he, he he burst onto the scene. You know, as a junior, he eclipsed the twenty percent dominator rating. Not to get all freaking nerdy here. Um, he was only 20.6 when he did that. But then, you know, as a senior last year, he had 32% of the uh, team's targets, um, 34% of their yards. So sophomore, junior, and senior season, back to back to back. Like this guy was really, you know, the main component to their offense. Um, and I think he just has the upside to have a similar kind of role in the NFL. I mean, he just, he checks a lot. of. You don't see, honestly, tight ends break out and do a lot of the things he did so early and then be able to back them up each year this was a really good tight end class Michael Mayer had a similar profile but not as athletic right is what you get with Laporta and I think that the Lions were pretty sharp you know doing what they did I know that surprised some people that they took him where they did but I think he does have traits that make his ceiling higher I think Michael Mayer is going to be a fine tight end in the NFL like I think he'll be somebody in fantasy in two to three years you'll be oh he's my he finishes a tight end 10. Tight end yep. nine, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it, it'll be good. Like his upside is like to be like a, kind of more like a Jason Witten. If, and, and if he really grows, but Laporta's upside is he could be more like George Kittle, yep. right? Because he has those explosive traits that could go on top of the target earning that, that Mayer doesn't have. So I just really love the ceiling. I agree with you too. Like I know tight ends don't typically break out, right? As rookies, but you also just have to take context. Like Matt, can, if we, if we went like to a, corner of you know any of somewhere in detroit right for this team and said hey name the three tight ends on this roster and not name sam laporta like no one could name any of them yeah. like i mean and that's nothing against these players right they are nfl players but there's nothing standing in his way now is he going to be ready to block and all that i don't know he probably will lose some some snaps to you know brock wright you know on rundowns and things like that. But that doesn't really bother me. You know, if he can get to 70% route participation, 75%, which I think is still very much in range for him as a rookie, but looking at this tight end room and his talent profile, I agree. And I I think Laporta, I got to look. Um, and so if folks want to know, like I'm using the Best Ball Hub. It's over on Fantasy Life. You can get it for free. It's always free. We don't give it to you for free, so then you pay for something else. Everything on our site is for free. Um, But all you have to do is go to Underdog and you request your CSV for your drafts. You come over to Fantasy Life as long as you just got an account, which all you have to do is get an email and a password. And then you can upload this and you can upload it as often as you want, but it'll give you the breakdown of all your exposures to all your players. You can look at which players you've got paired the most often with them. So this is how I'm doing this, like on the fly, as we're talking, the Sam Laporta is my third most rostered tight end. I've got 14%, 14% of my teams have Sam Laporta on them. Uh, Darren Waller's my number one at 20%, um, but La- Laporta's right there behind him.
0: Yeah. You know, I, when I look at Laporta, I think the, the the distinction between Mayer and Laporte is a very good one. And I think for me, when I break it down is that Mayer was a very good zone route runner, but I don't see him being a matchup one-on-one type of matchup beater, except in the red zone, which is where, why he can still have that Witten like upside. Yeah. Um, But that's to me how that works out on the field in in terms of your explanation there. So who's your final guy that you're higher on?
1: Well, I'm going to let you pick. I'll give all three just so the audience okay. has them, but I have Deontay Johnson, 17 spots above ADP. I have Darren Waller, 11 spots above ADP. And I have Nico Collins, 13 spots above ADP. So your pick, Matt. Okay.
0: I want to, you know, listen, I think. If you have one of these, understand. you don't like, if yeah. you have
1: one of these, you don't like pick that one.
0: Yeah, I know. Like I'll, I'll put it this way. Deontay Johnson, I understand why that can happen. So I, and I think everyone else can too. Um Darren Waller is the same thing, even if whether you have varying degrees of confidence of him staying healthy yeah. and, and all that. So the most interesting one to me is Nico Collins. What What is it about Nico that has you
1: higher? Yeah, so with Nico, he's one of these, I just didn't expect to be this high on him, but the data took me there, right? Okay. Um, I really try to come into the process very unbiased. In fact, when I did my first pass, of my rankings in May. I did not have Nico Collins as high as I have him you know now that I did the projection process as well and dug into everything. Um, there's a couple things you know with with Nico he took a big step forward last year. Um, you know as a rookie he was not very good, but last year he, and he was playing through injuries last season as well, but he jumped to an 18% target share in the games that he played which is really wide receiver three worthy going back to 2011, right? That's about the range of a wide receiver three. But the other part is just looking at his air yards. 33% of the air yards for the Texans, that's wide receiver one worthy going back to 2011. So this is kind of how I start to try to look at players that they may be doing things and they weren't in a full-time role that are on par with like wide receiver threes, twos, or ones, but they didn't quite have the role and then when you look at the texans you know we've got john mechie we've got robert woods we have uh tank dell i feel like colin like collins is probably a lock to play x and then i think you probably have robert woods starting off as the z and then you have mechie and probably tank dell and some sort of a rotation i do think mechie could end up taking over for robert woods as the z i think he could do all those things if, if woods is healthy though and Still doing his thing, like his data suggests that he's still he, look, he's not a great player like he once was, but he's still capable right of yeah. of keeping a younger guy off the field. We'll put it that way. But with Nico, like as I dug into it, the first thing I thought is, well, they were without Brandon Cooks. did this just all come you know when Brandon Cooks you know was out? Now, even if it had that you we shouldn't discount it because it's this is an error if you hear if you ever hear someone doing this in fantasy football. It's wrong. It's not true. If they ever say something like, well, Amon Ross St. Brown only had those 30% target shares because, you know, TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Schiff were hurt. So here's the thing. While you can get more targets when you have teammates that are good, that are out, you can't suddenly be a 30% target share player unless you're a badass. Like Because the opposing team doesn't want to let your best player do that. And after a few weeks, believe me, everyone knew that season that Amon Ross was all that the lions had and they couldn't do anything about it. There's yeah. nothing they could do about it. So, so when you hear that, ignore it, it's don't a good ever point. listen to th- It's a good point because you know, the,
0: the, the thing that I could anticipate someone saying about Nico's like, Oh, well they're going to bracket him more. They're going to roll the coverage over more towards his area, but they did, you know, a, a good example of someone who couldn't achieve that target share after an early hot start for that exact reason but it happened within the same season and they went downhill was Clay Chase Claypool you yeah, know so that's a good one, yeah. he's a good example of a player who after week 6 defenses said we got to pay attention to this guy and then he never recovered um but with but with cook or with collins you can see that you know they didn't make the adjustment you know they couldn't yeah, make the and, adjustment
1: and the other really nice thing um is and this is uh, thank you true media so true media is who we're working with as our data partner and uh, so we've partnered with pff and true media at fantasy life now so all of our stuff will be based on that and i can easily go in and just be like okay great well like what happened with nico collins i just want to see when nico collins was on the field with brandon cooks right 24 percent target share with brandon cooks on the field yeah so this wasn't just about um, you know, Brandon Cook's, you know, not being out there. Um, and, and again, like he he had to go earn it anyway. Now, I'm not saying Nico Collins is going to suddenly be a guy that, oh my God, he's your wide receiver one. But I think you can get him in a range in the draft where wide receiver fours and fives are going and you could be drafting a wide receiver three. I think that's very much in his range of outcomes. Um, like surprising high end range is probably a wide receiver two, you know, but I think that he could be Actually, I'm projecting him. I think he will be a wide receiver three in fantasy football this season. Um, you know, Last year, he was only out there for 75. He only had a 75% route participation um, due to some different things that were going on. So, I mean, this year I've got him projected at 85%. You know, And again, we talk about that wide receiver room. I've only got him projected for 19% of the targets, Matt. Like 21% targets per route run, but nine, that comes out to a 19% target share once you take a game away. I mean, so I feel really good about Nico, he's uh, one of my most drafted players. In fact, like if you're in a draft and wide receivers just go super early and guess what it's happening, like it's crazy, especially on underdog. Now every format's different, but if you don't have four or five wide receivers by round nine on underdog, like you're it's foobar, like it's over, you know? So when that does happen and say, say some really good running back values follow you too, cause you don't want to be a, you don't want to just go on ADP. You know, it's got to be part of your process, but like, let's say I've had this happen where in the first round, I take Cooper cup coming back down. I take Tony Pollard in the second. And then, you know, I'm like, you know, like, I don't really know how to pass Derrick Henry or Ramondre Stevenson. Whenever my other option is to go with, you know, Devonta Smith or T Higgins, look, the upside case for the two running backs is just higher, right? Yes, they could get hurt. So let's say you take those two backs. But then, you know, everybody else just keeps taking receivers. It's going to be tough for you to catch up. So in those kind of drafts, I make Nico a priority, and I'm willing to reach as much as a round um, because later in the draft, there's just not many profiles that I've found that, mat- that check off as many criteria as he does. There are other guys I like that check off some criteria, but he checks off the most. Yeah, and if there's a guy that, that might be
0: on that list for you to consider, but people consider very risky and I believe the fantasy world is scared shitless of him is Kadarius Tony. I mean like when I and I profiled him this week at footballguys.com in the gut check column. Um you know and when I looked at him, you gotta remember that the Chiefs I described the Chiefs offense fantasy wise for their passing offense as this. It's a humongous, tasty pie. But it's divided up into three pieces, essentially. Three big pieces. is is essentially that. Because everyone was chasing, you know, Nicole Hardman for years. It's finally going to happen. It's finally going to happen. Then it was Sky Moore. It's finally, it's going to happen with Sky Moore. They made him a priority. Okay, not really. It's Travis Kelsey, it's Patrick Mahomes, and it's the top wide receiver that on their board. Whoever that is. Whether it was Tyreek Hill or Juju Smith-Schuster. And when you look at the average you know, averages of that top receiver for the past five years, that was the Mahomes era. You're looking at, you know, 124 targets, 84 catches, 68% catch percentage, 1100, almost 1160 yards, you know, around almost 14 yards per catch. Um, And part of that though is I would say it's probably, yeah, I'd say that's probably about right. And even look with looking at some of the higher or lowers, about nine touchdowns, and then you still get and you also get maybe a half a touchdown on the ground. So when I look at that and I think about Kadarius Toney, is he the route runner Tyreek Hill is? Absolutely not. Is he a what you would consider a primary wide receiver route runner who can win on third and fifteen against Jalen Ramsey in his prime like Stefan Diggs? And Ramsey knows the routes that's coming. And he's still catching the ball. No, not not yet. Maybe, but not yet. And probably not this year. But, you know, is he also Nicole Hardman who can't catch a cold when he's in a contested situation, who does not have specific press release skills that you would like to see from a receiver um, and who, you know, really doesn't have some route manipulation skills is a deep threat unless it's a play action zone play that gets behind the defense and Kaderis Tony has all those things he can win against press he has good footwork against press from what I've seen he can win one-on-one against defenders with his footwork and route skills it's a they're isolated plays but they're there, and they've matched him up there. You see it with the Giants against
1: Quandre Diggs. You see I was about it. to say that if you're going to look at Kadarius Toney, uh you have to go look at what he did as he gets, a Giant as yeah. well because he did get schemed up a lot more in Kansas City. And I think that's what has people scared. They're like, well, that stuff can't scale. And you're right. Like, everything you're doing can't be a screen or a gadget. Like, you have to have other parts to your game. But that isn't the player he was in New York. In no. New York, they didn't scheme him near as much. They basically just put him out there and said, hey, beat your guy and we'll throw it to you. But
0: there's multiple ways that you can scheme that work with Harman, with uh, with Tony that, that is beyond the limits of what Harmon can do. Because when you watch the way the Giants scheme him too, they'd use three receivers on one side, put in the middle, and let the other two run off the two shallower defenders, put him in the middle, and because he's so good at transitioning upfield in tight coverage, he 's the type of receiver that will turn it up field, hit a quick a small crease like a running back, and turn what a most receivers would have turned into a seven yard gain after the catch into like a twenty one yard gain after the catch so you'd have those plays also because he's that rushing threat um the chiefs love to use him on the uh, flanked as a running back, get him matched up against the safety. And throw the contested route to the same side that Travis Kelsey is on. And if you if you're a defense, your two men are rolling over to Kelsey, and and then you do that. They also play, they also play with the tight end kind of role. Like oftentimes you'll you'll see eleven personnel or or two tight ends, and you'll have Kelsey on one side. And where they run those little drag routes, where the tight end slants inside as if he's going to block, and then breaks to the outside to the flat off of a play action roll they'll do that and the team expects Kelsey to break back to the outside but Kelsey stays inside the the two linebackers slide inside and the guy who comes across the middle behind the play action and across the field is Tony and and now he's matched up one on one there or the zone routes where he's on one side of the field and they have Kelsey on the on like say the right side they have Tony on the left and Tony runs a deep um over route, but Kelsey's presence forces the defense to basically open up a huge, leave open a huge area behind Kelsey that's wide open for Tony to cross over and and catch. So there's a lot of things, even if to me, even if Tony doesn't become the one-on-one I'm-going-to-beat-you Tyreek Hill player, the way that they use him is enough that I have him projected as a you know a better um performer than hardman this year like to me, I think it's well within reason to look at him and say, will he get over a hundred targets? yeah, I didn't get over a hundred targets in this offense as the second highest target holder um and 80 catches and a thousand yards and that's you know about 12 yards per catch. I'm not asking him to be, you know, the 15, 17-yard-per-catch guy that sometimes Tyreek Hill was, more the early Tyreek Hill version when Hill wasn't a great route runner and still their top wide receiver in this offense. And seven touchdowns, I don't think that's asking a lot for this offense when you when you look at, who you know, how they sh- spread things out or put things on chairs. And Sky Moore, look, could become a good player. But, you know, as Matt Harmon talked about, they... They they put him in all they had him run all three positions or roles and they threw a lot at him and his game was kind of being reformatted as a rookie and learning on the go. Whereas with Tony is known as a good student of the game. He's immature as hell. I mean look listen, he already two, five, six, seven days ago, he's already talking about how he's putting the the Super Bowl fit on um, ring on his middle finger so that he could show, and that was for the entire city of new york and the new york giants immature yes yeah (laughs) funny immature that maybe that you know brian dable said i'm gonna make an example out of him and say that that you know look i need to make an example of him and kenny galladay two guys for whatever reason are just probably resting on the laurels of their talent as opposed to working to the level I want. And I'm hoping Tony will get the message because I think it's beyond Kenny Galladay because he got that big second contract, a fat second contract on being a protected receiver, you know, between two other guys who really did like open things up for him. And I think he was enabled into believing that he was a lot better of a a much more complete player than he really was. I think that Dable felt like, I've got to get this team with me, and if I baby either of these two guys, I'm screwed as a coach for the rest of my time here. So if I have to sacrifice Tony to get my team to follow me, we'll live. And that's what I think he did. I I don't think it was, he wasn't trolling Tony, even though Tony, you know, probably believes that. So do I think all, you know, Tony has four or five more of these types of things on his track record. Could that turn into a big thing? Yes. But I'm I'm like taking a look at it as he's got a few little things on his issues with his issues. Brett Veach thinks he can be a a primary, you know, Matt Nagy, whatever you want to say about what his years were in Chicago and, and what he was like as a coach, you know, he's he's bought into that. Andy Reid is bought into it, I believe. You know, you look at this team and the way they they set it all up. You don't have to draft Kadarius Tony as a top fifteen wide receiver. But I think that's his ceiling. I think his ceiling is actually a top five wide receiver. Um, If he does show the route running acumen that we haven't seen yet week after week. But I think a safe, like a little above the midline for me is top 15 at his position. And that's a hell of a lot higher than where he's being drafted, which is what, what, rounds eight to ten? So, yeah. you, you know, round
1: seven right you, now on underdog, but receivers yeah. go sooner there. So in and other drafts, you know, you're going to be seeing Kadarius, Tony, go in rounds eight, yeah. eight and nine. And, I'm,
0: and you're looking just one last thing. You're <laughs> looking at players like um, you're looking at players like Darren Waller as the as guys. that If you want to take at the end of round six, you know, and some it depends on whether it's, you know, underdog or some other other format. But there are a number of players that I look at and I go, I have just as many questions about those guys, and they have lower upside than what I see for Tony. So, yeah, for me, that might be a guy that I'd add to the list of if you draft Henry as your second back in an underdog league, can you get, can, you know, can you get Tony and, and feel comfortable with, okay, I'll take that chance.
1: Yeah, and on underdog, you're, you would be taking Kadarius Tony over a player like Jahan Watson. Or Dotson, sorry, Jahan Dotson. And uh you would be taking him over a player like Trelon Burks. You would be taking him over a player like George Pickens. Those are the wide receivers going to white right with him. Gladly. And I think all yeah. well, I think the big thing is they all have questions. Um like I, I like I'm I'm drafting Traylon Burks over Tony, but I'm also factoring in the fact I know we can't predict injuries, but look, Tony, there's just I, I am worried about him. Like you know, it's like he jukes himself out of his own like, you know, skeletal system. Like I mean, the guy's like always, you know, detaching things. So that's always
0: been my that's always been my issue with him even pre-draft is how inefficient he can move to hurt himself. So that's a that's a fair point.
1: And so it's just mainly that. But I definitely want exposure because I think the the biggest takeaway like if you're a listener, like for me is it really is the upside. So I have him projected playing the Michael Hardman role, but only all that means is how many routes I think he's getting, <laughs> right? <laughs> because your target earning ability is still your target earning ability. Um, so he's also though going to get his stats padded by all the gimmicky, cool things that Andy Reid will do for the player in that role, where you're just you know running a jet sweep and you get the push pass right from Patrick Mahomes. That's a cheat code. That shouldn't be worth a point. In PPR, but it is that's the scoring. <laughs> if you're playing in a PPR, like you're get a handoff just counted as a point for you. Um, so there's a lot of things that go well for Tony. So I've got him projected for 50% of the routes. So that's really the Meekle Hardman role. But targets per route run at 24%, um, and that's just slightly below what he's been over the last two years as an average. Um, you know, but like that puts him, you know, at 10 and a half points per game in PPR, 8.2 and a half point PPR. Um, I've only gotten him projected for 14 games, but I changed that route participation, which this is what you talked about, range of outcomes, right? If I change that route participation to 85%, and let's say those targets per route run don't gun down, that's, that's that's what people will contest. They will say, uh, that 24% is going to come down, and what I would point to is the film in New York. I think the film in New York actually suggests that no, he really can be a 24, 25% target rate guy, period, right? And I get it. He's not a finished product. I thought Matt Harmon did a great job of breaking down the inconsistencies in Kadarius Tony's game, Um, you know, and he talked about how there's a lot of growth that still needs to occur. And I think that, you know, Matt's a super super sharp guy, you know, and so I I agree. Like, there's things that have to happen, and you're talking about some of the same things. But if we give him that 85% route, route participation, is totally in the range of outcomes and then you we see what that does like based on his touchdowns per route run and stuff historically like yeah he shoots to 17.3 points per game in ppr like that's a that's a high-end wide receiver one yeah and so
0: let's remember let's remember travis kelsey is the primary wide receiver in this offense he is wide receiver one in this offense and they use multiple tight ends to help offset that a lot of times in the game where they're split outside as well to help with Kelsey. So Canaris Toney doesn't need to be wide receiver one in this offense. He's just he's to me, he's essentially a Devonta Smith, Jordan Addison, um, you know, Calvin Ridley, arguably, kind of the guy who has a bully the big bully in the room and he's the mouthpiece, the little mouthpiece in the schoolyard talking a bunch of shit who, you know, who can do some damage when he's got the big bully behind him and AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson and, 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 and guys like that. And Travis Kelsey's the big bully, you know, and, and Tony to me fits right in there where he's a high end wide. I think, I think his floor is high end wide receiver too, you know, in, in this offense, because again, last year, Kansas City planned to spread this thing apart. And Juju Smith-Schuster is a fine NFL wide receiver. But he's not remotely a wide receiver one. He was the most productive wide receiver. And Marcus Valdez-Scantling, I mean, I'm sorry. You know, if you you still have faith in Marcus Valdez-Scantling, I don't think it's going to pay off like Mark Ingram all those years ago when people were like, You know, betting that Ingram would one day be a a running back one. I don't think Valdez Kentling's ever going. He's that guy. He's that guy Dwayne mentioned that runs the the deep routes that you really don't want on your team. You you know, he's a picture perfect version of that. If there's a guy on this roster, if you ask me, who could wind up being the shocker and be the big name that works out well, it's Justin Ross, and you don't. And he's not even a draftable player right now.
1: Yeah. And I think that's just the biggest question is just, you know, is it going to be a rotation? You know, if if Kadarius Tony plays 50% of the snaps, like, and he's playing the Nicole Hardman role, he's still going to probably be a wide receiver three for your fantasy team because he's so efficient. Now, last year, he was only out there 30. He only had 30. He never even really got the 30% route participation, but he was new to the team. You know, they were still trying to integrate him into the offense. You had Juju still there, and he can take some of the the snaps in the, in the slot. So I know that we've got to move to the next guy. But I do agree, like, Tony, the upside is immense. And I need to draft him some more. Like, I've usually been on a different plan where I've been needing different things for my roster. I've got some Kadarius Tony, but this is a good reminder. Um, you know, I'm actually – I'm planning on – he's in my – schedule to do a piece you know around projection spectrum i like i kind of plotting out the guys that have the widest range and tony i think you can make an argument like he might be number one on that list
0: yeah he very well might be all right so we're gonna go through some of our guys that were lower on so who are you lower on than the adp
1: uh this is probably gonna make you laugh because i know like i was like the cheerleader for this person last year and this isn't because they burn me okay although maybe a little bit but you know But it's Travis Etienne. And I know people say, well, how did he burn you, Dwayne? Like, he was actually, you know, one of the most explosive runners in the league. You know, he had a lot of rushing yards. There are a lot of concerns with his game. (laughs) He was not good inside the five-yard line. Um, And it wasn't just the data. So I use the data when I see these things. Then I go back and I watch all the plays. He was terrible. He was terrible inside the five. It looked like he had no clue what he was doing. Jay Jay Moyer is smiling right now. Oh, yeah, Jay. Yeah, Jay is doing <laughs> I Told You So. Um, and he's right. He was right. Uh, you know, he, I lean more into the data. I do watch the film. That's why Jay and I always work so well together, and that's why I work so well with you as well, right? We're kind of yeah. coming from our own angles, and we we try to <laughs> mold that together. But you guys are certainly better at the film stuff than me, right? So uh, I do lean into people like you guys to to really help me with that. But with ETN the other area where Jay was really really right was the fact that he's not the kind of receiver even though his college data suggested it he's not the kind of receiver out of the backfield that you have with an Alvin Kamara with a CMC and that's what you were hoping for you were hoping for a profile of a player that honestly we didn't even know how many of the rushing attempts we would get we were buying into his receiving game last year at ADP. And one of the things Jay pointed out, he said, like, look, he's not a downfield guy like Camara, like CMC. He's not going to work angle routes, Texas routes, bullet routes. He's not going to do things that are going to be mismatches against linebackers and safeties and coverage. That's not him. He doesn't have that to his game. And he also is just, you know, how he chooses to catch the football is just really weird. Drops don't matter that much to me, but like, I couldn't help but notice them when I was watching him. I'm like, what the hell is going on with this guy? Uh, But. I think Tank Bigsby coming in, man, like just to summarize it, this is a coaching staff that historically has been willing to rotate guys. Now, if you've got a really good talent, you have first-round draft capital in, you know, like you got ETN, like that. it could be overstated, right? I could be overstating Bigsby. But when you look at the problems ETN had, he was one of the least efficient guys inside the five. Bigsby is a bigger back coming in out of Auburn. He could easily help ease the burden because they were having to use Trevor Lawrence down there. Now, that's in vogue in the league to use your quarterback to score touchdowns. Um, But you also got to be careful, right? You don't want them taking big hits in ranges of the field where defenses know they can just tee off because it's likely that your quarterback could run. Scrambling's different. Quarterback chooses that on their own terms. They can slide at any moment. They can just get out of bounds. But being part of design running game and high-impact areas of the field, like that could still be problematic, right? So I look at Tank Bigsby as being a true threat to take away a lot of the inside – the five carries. And if you take that away and he's not going to be someone in the receiving game, like we thought he was, I think that's just really problematic for where his ADP is. And I will tell you if what the data shows is if you're on a team that has a lot of good receiving weapons and you're just a kind of meh guy in the, in the target, you know, department or, you know, as a receiver, like you're not, you're just not going to get a lot of targets. Like you've got Calvin Ridley, you've got Zay Jones, you've got Christian Kirk, You've got Evan Ingram. There are just way better options for Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball to. And there's really no need for Jacksonville to go out of their way because they have all those weapons to try to do anything to really even integrate him into the passing game. So Etienne is a guy I wouldn't mind drafting if he was going in round five of drafts. I still think he has big play. He has electric speed, right? He still has big play upside, and he's still young. He could mature. But I just see enough problems where we could be staring at a back that really just plays between the 20s, doesn't get involved in the receiving game, and you're you're really super dependent on long plays giving you your fantasy production. Well,
0: you're going to laugh because I've never drafted Travis Etienne in any draft format whatsoever, but I <laughs> traded for him this offseason um, because <laughs> the deal was good enough for me to have him, so I actually do have Travis Etienne as a new addition on one of my teams, so the the irony cuts both ways for us. Oh, and, the price, price this, can the always, way. the price
1: is, it, yeah. you know, as Ian Hardis always says, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. That's right. And that's my challenge and, with ETN right now.
0: Yeah. And I'll add on I'll add another player to the list. Cause I'm, I'm not as high on Bigsby as some people are. I still think the Johnson might have a say and he can catch the ball. That's how he got into the league. Well, that's, that's
1: the other challenge. I think ETN could actually lose the passing down duties to the Ernest Johnson and, and lose the work inside the five to Bigsby. Yeah. But I think that's in the range.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so definitely, that's an that was a good one to listen. One of my favorite players in the past five six years at the wide receiver position. is a player I'm lower on, and it's Chris Godwin. And I think that it's obvious if you've listened to this podcast, probably why, because I rail on on Baker Mayfield relentlessly. Um, but I just look at this offense, and the offensive line did not get better. And it basically forced Tom Brady into retirement last year. Um, the line
1: will be better, though. The, the line was injured. I will it say that was. they they had a ton of injuries. I yeah. don't think their offensive line is actually bad, but the challenge is, I still don't think that matters. I think Baker just sucks so bad that it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, you, you could literally put Fort Knox around him, yeah, and I think I'm, he would just continue to be bad.
0: I'm a little less confident in the line than than you are, but I get the I, but I, but it's a valid point, and and Baker is not a precision passer. And and Godwin is the guy that, you know, is gonna be more in that Odell Beckham role and you know, I don't know if Godwin's father is one of those, you know, you know, Pop Warner coaches in the way that Beckham's father was, but we may be getting hate 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 videos sent to the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers facility for Godwin when it's all over with there. So I just look at the situation and while he's going to be a year healthier, he's a great all-around receiver, I just don't trust this offense. If there's a player that I do like, it's going to be the player that gets the ball in ways that Baker Mayfield throws it reasonably well. And that's the deep over routes, that's the, the corner or sail route, you know, those types of things, deep comebacks. And that's Mike Evans, I think, is probably a little bit better on that end. I see his value staying a little more stable than Godwin's. Um, So who, you know, you can comment on that if you want to more, or we can go on to the next
1: guy. Uh, I can comment. Baker. Yeah. Yeah. We can move on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so the next one. Uh, is Michael Pittman, a player that I actually think is pretty underrated, um, like just based on his ability to earn targets and things like that. He's been a bit unfortunate um, in the quarterback situation, but I think that's going to be a challenge this year. While I like Anthony Richardson and I think that there's some really good things um, about his game and on tape and certain type of balls that he you know, is really good at throwing, there's still going to be inconsistencies. It's just going to be a challenge of him continuing to progress. I don't expect all that to suddenly you know, light switch flip on in year one and Anthony Richardson become a 65% completion rate guy, right? That's probably going to be a journey for him over his career. The other factor is if historically you go back and you look at the teams that have quarterbacks with super high scramble rates, which I expect Anthony Richardson to have. Look last year, Chicago Bears, 16% scramble rate for Justin Fields. Well, what does that mean? That originally started off as a play that was intended to be a pass. But the quarterback decided because looking at the talent around him and whatever the breakdown of the player whatever happened I'm probably just the best option to take off and just go freaking score. like Justin Fields just go score like an 80 yard touchdown like you don't get guys like this we're getting more of them now but Anthony Richardson is that kind of guy like he is the kind of guy that can just take off you know and, and take you know get 60 yards you know and score a touchdown you know he can he can run past somebody run over somebody he's just you know he's an elite athlete so what happens is that turns that pass play that into a run play. And now all of a sudden, so if you've got a scramble rate of 16% and let's say your team was trying to throw the ball 60% of the time, well, you do the math. That just means you're not going to throw the ball very much. And the bears did not last year. So having someone that scrambles this much typically means like at best, you're going to be like a 55% drop back rate, right? Um, You know, sorry, 55% pass rate. Um, but your drop back rate, you know, it, it can be a little higher than that. So the scrambles really factor in for me. He's also going to be, uh, Anthony Richardson will also be, in the, you know, in, involved in the design run game with Jonathan Taylor. You know, he'll probably account for 20% of their design rushing attempts. That's another trait that, if you see that, really causes teams to be run heavy. And guess what? It also causes teams that, even when they're trailing, when they have these two factors going, most of the time, big trailing scripts will push a team. To need to pass the ball a lot more. Now it's all relative. The, it will force the Colts to, to throw a little bit more whenever they're trailing, and, and Vegas projects them to be trailing quite a lot this year. Um, but they can—they're going to stay more true to the run game. So even though it will make them throw a little bit more, it's just not going to be enough. And when you factor all that together, and you look at Michael Pittman, like he's had a 70% catch rate over the last two years, that's coming down. Yeah. So you're going to have a—you're going to have an offense with depressed passing volume. You're going to have an offense where he's not going to have an, an accurate of a quarterback. That's going to hurt. So I think those factors together, I think I've drafted Michael Pittman twice. And I like the player. But like the situation is enough that at ADP, I'm just pivoting to other players. And he goes in that range with guys like what you just talked about, Chris Godwin. So you certainly have questions in that area of the draft. But honestly, I go back to a name that we've already talked about. Like, when I get in that range and I see Chris Godwin and I see Michael Pittman on the board, I just take Jackson Smith and Jigba. There you, <laughs> you know, go. I'm just like, yeah. you know, because I think they're going to be similar, and I think JSN just has more upside. I think there's more weight. Like, Seattle's offense could just go off, yeah. right? And then being the wide – even if he's the third guy in the offense, like, it could be enough. And I look at these players like Pittman, and I just – I struggle to find a way to get him to where he needs to be and projections to, to – to really say, hey, this is you should spend that pick on him in round five of your drafts.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have Anthony Richardson at a fifty nine percent completion percentage, and that's being three, generous. Yeah, under three. Well, I am yeah, and it probably is, but I am higher on him than probably the most. And I am close to three thousand yards passing, um, not not quite there, um, you know, and closer to eight hundred yards rushing this year. So, you know, I think it's going to be a good rookie year for him, but it's kind of been more of a good Josh Allen esque rookie type of year. I like
1: it He'll probably be a top twelve quarterback just because of his running. Yeah. But it, his ability to support the rest of the offense is really where our yeah. concerns come in.
0: So I have a riddle for you, Dwayne. What is what is um cylindrical shaped, green and white, and says jets on it? It's a Grease uh, Hall? Yeah, hey, Grease <laughs> Hall. That actually I was gonna say I was gonna say the know. waste paper basket or the or the trash can in Green Bay. Um because basically <laughs> you've got Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers who've been sent there. Um and That's when funny. You, and when you look at this offensive line and w- I just don't know if it's again another unit that I'm just like not very confident in and I, I they have great skill talent if you want to call you know wide receivers, running backs, at tight ends and quarterbacks t- skill talent. They're great skill talent. Offensive line to support it, not confident in that. Brees Hall to me, when you look at that combination, and he's coming back from an ACL tear, I don't see how he's going to play more than 10 games. So I know that projecting injury is problematic. But when I look at, you know, I don't know. There aren't many players who come back from an ACL tear at the running back position and kill it like Adrian Peterson they they generally have some compensatory injury that limits them on some level whether they play every game and they're just not quite where they need to be or they miss multiple games and i just look at hall and the way he runs and it's hard and i look at that offensive line and it's hard for me to project him as a player who's going to play even 12 games this year so as he, the games he plays yeah i've got him I've got him at over five yards per uh, per attempt and, and about five touchdowns and close to 30 receptions. But I'm looking at a player who's maybe going to have 800 total yards this year. I don't think he's, I, I just, I, I think this is a wait till next year player um, or wait till the end of the year type of player. And hopefully they still have Aaron Rodgers at that
1: point um, when he is available to get on the field. I love him. Um, but I am leaning. I will tell you, I'm leaning a lot into, and this is one of the cool things about our industry, right? We've yeah. got so many medical professionals, yeah, uh, that are putting out really good content, right? Different levels. Some doctors, right? Some, you know, that are that are not Thera- that work in the field, or things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, three of the people I listen to the most in this area um, project Brees Hall to to be ready to rock. Um, now, could start slow, to your point, but based on like factors of his athleticism, his age, and how they bucket out these players that have had these injuries, um, that Brees Hall should be good to go this year. Now, is he going to be 100% of what he was last year? No, but he can be one of the exceptions that could be like around 90% of what we saw. Um, so for me, the other part is at ADP. Once you get to the end of round three, which is where Brees Hall often slips to. It's like, okay, like I could take, you know, some of these older wide receivers that are slipping there, other wide receivers that have questions, or I can take a swing, you know, on a guy like Brees Hall. And the other thing is, especially if I'm playing in best ball trying to win a $3 million contest, I want the guy that's coming on at the end of the year. I want, I want Brees Hall. I want week 15, 16, and 17 version of Brees Hall. So I'm not as pessimistic about his games. In fact, like I haven't projected at 15 like all the rest of my running backs. Um, so, but again, that that's based off of content that I'm consuming from other people that I think are just smarter than me about injuries. Um, now that same group of people is very worried about Javante. So I've stayed away from Javante, but on Brees Hall. I've definitely bought in like, just, I mean, God, like looking at what he did in college. And then for that little bit of that we got last year, like if he hadn't been hurt, he would probably be my running back two this year. Yeah. I might be my running back one overall. Yeah. I love
0: his talent. I've always loved his talent. But the thing about his talent is, is that he is a hard-cutting dynamic moving back who is very instinctive. And the one thing that, you know, I always just, there's one guy that I always listen to when it came to injuries. And while, you know, he's not doing much this year at this point, our buddy Gene Brammel, And the one thing that I always heard from Gene was it's that last, they may be 95%. They may even be 100% but at 100% they may not be 100% in their mind confident about that leg. And when and when you have a guy who's plays that that um, dynamically in terms of their movement, leans on the movement that that much, the hardest thing for that to come back even when the leg is perfectly healthy is the the confidence to do everything that you used to do on it. And when you don't do it, you're just pulling back a little bit because you just don't trust it yet even though it's there even the doctors telling you it's there you don't trust it yet that's when those compensatory injuries pop up because you're doing you're not doing what you should be doing on it um so i i think i i'm rooting for the 15 games or the 16 games and i and i can and i hope that the guys that you're listening to are right on that end um you know so i you know it's it's just a tough call i mean for me on that end. I to Well, the other day. thing
1: I think about is like in that range of the draft, I try to think about like, what's the thing I can't get later. I, I can't draft a guy like Brees hall later. Like there's That's not true. one. Like, so it's, That's true. Nah, it's, it's not every roster and I'm not like way overweight versus the field yeah. on Brees hall, but I definitely want my exposure to, to him. If I'm going to draft a bunch of teams, like what I'm doing, you know, right now. So yeah, yeah we can, we I can could, yeah. I could
0: joke. I could joke that Trey sermon would might be that guy. Um, but, uh, and well that's for another conversation how about um who's the guy who's who's the third guy that you're lower on? or are we on the side well actually
1: i wanted to throw one of the ones i'm the most uncertain about like i okay. get your thoughts as a as a person you know that watches the film way more than me and that's elijah moore so elijah moore has just really got a wide range of outcomes like so if we say we see last year's version of elijah moore and we see last year's version of deshaun watson Like, you'll be sick at your stomach that you spent your 7th or 8th round pick on Elijah Moore. However, if we get rookie season Elijah Moore and we get vintage Deshaun Watson, which is more where I'm leaning and it sounds like you are as well, you're going to have a player that you're like, wow, (laughs) I've got a wide receiver 2 with potential wide receiver 1 upside, and I drafted him in round 8. So just very opposite ends of the spectrum and what we saw in the rookie season for Elijah Moore and what we saw last year, like his targets per route run dropped from 24% to 12%. Like that, you don't see that very often. You don't see guys do that well as a rookie, especially guys that we liked coming out of college that, that graded well there as well, suddenly just become bad in year two. And to be honest, there's so few of them it's really hard to say oh well here are his comps because like all of them kind of have different circumstances it's not like we have a list of 30 guys that have done this like my data going back to 2011 where I'm tracking this stuff I've got like three or four names that I can it's just not a big enough sample so I just kind of throw it out I'm like okay well I'm leaning into the fact that I think that this Browns offense will be one of the most improved in the league in the passing department and so I've been taking him but I will tell you, I'm a bit, I'm a little queasy about it because I don't know, like, uh, I, I can't quantify like what happened to him and how things got so bad, as a target earner. Yes, he fell out of favor with the coaching staff. That I can ex- be like, well, fine, whatever. Let I'll see what he does with the next coaching staff. That doesn't bother me. It bothers me, but that's overcomable. What bothers me is that he couldn't get targeted, and he had been so targeted the year before, and we know talent is the biggest driver. You're, Quarterback throwing it to you now, I get it. It's playing with Zach Wilson, um, so but none of the quarterbacks for the Jets targeted him when he was out there, so yeah. it wasn't just Zach Wilson. So that concerns me. Yeah, I have I have
0: more about ten spots lower than ADP right now um, overall, um, but again, I agree with you that this that the range of outcomes is very is very wide, and there can be multiple dimensions in which that happens because if you if David Bell gets cut, you know, and he isn't involved as a tertiary or you know fringe target and marquis goodwin is normally what he is which is injured and plays two games or whatever and or is just kind of one of those deep threats that occasionally gets looked or cedric tillman is slow to acclimate on some level if you just combine the you know a good chunk of what i've projected for those guys just as people that really aren't fantasy factors and added on to what i have for more He's probably a wide receiver, high end wide receiver three, if not a low end wide receiver two, just right there. Then if you take Donovan Peoples-Jones and say, you know what, move aside, you're now the afterthought in this offense, Um, but you're on the field, but you're an afterthought. You're, you know, Elijah Moore's usurping a lot of your target share there. You might be looking, and then if you combine it with some of the other players going by the wayside that I mentioned, you could be looking at a thousand yard receiver, um, you know, in this offense who, like you said, is a a a very solid fantasy starter. Right now I've got him at a conservative mark because I just want to see how it shakes our, out. But what we've seen thus far in OTAs, he's the most targeted player in the offense. Then they're moving him around a lot and doing a lot with him. So I'm he's Did you a see player anything that we him him last
1: year that that just bothered me, yeah. No. Like versus what you saw in year one.
0: No, I just saw Zach Wilson, and it was, you know, that was. <laughs> and you turned the TV off. I just, I just, I saw it and held my nose while I was doing the work. You know, no, serious, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, it was. It's hard to judge with a guy like Wilson because Wilson's always looking downfield, and then with Mike White, you have to remember too, he's not as experienced either. So as heady as he may have played within. What you would have what your expectations would have been he's a he was also kind of looking downfield or scrambling, so I just think I also think that Moore just was kind of X'd out of the offense so much, even in install probably when they installed in oTAs and practiced it he probably just wasn't a highly targeted player, so nobody really had a great rapport with him
1: um so that 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 was obviously the part that frustrated him because he yeah. saw this coming because he was upset very early in the year,
0: yeah, I mean him and Denzel mims both have like you know, if they have chips the size of Mount Rushmore on their shoulders based on what's happened with them in New York. And, and you know, I think Moore probably has a bigger case, even though Mims said, you know, said what he said and then stepped out there. They put him in the game in the final preseason game and he balled out. And, you know, and then they were using, but they used him more than they used Elijah Moore uh, last year. And, and I watched some of those targets he got and they were not um great so so yeah I'm with you on that and um you know I'll just mention this um i'm I'm lower on Bijan robinson than most um but not significantly so but just on a level well i guess significantly so in the fact that a lot of people see him as a top five back right off the bat like he's ladanian tomlinson. And, oh, he's the third running back off the board right now. Yeah, $100. exactly. And I, I, have him in, I have him at the bottom half of the, of the top 10. Really, actually, like 10th or 11th. And for me, Atlanta's offensive line is good. Uh, fine. That's great. Desmond Ritter's a big question mark. And also, in the red zone, are they going to use him the way that you would expect them to use him? Or are they going to use a 230-pound Cordero Patterson, who's performed pretty well in that stretch? Or... Tony Tyler Algier how are they gonna split this apart so for me it's it's a little bit about how I see the upside for Robinson there but are they gonna be in the in those situations offensively enough to give Robinson the touchdowns that are gonna put him over the top as a top five back and I just don't trust Desmond Ritter enough right now to say I'm gonna draft with confidence him as a top five player even if he has top five ability
1: yeah um i have some of the same concerns i i still love Bijan, so i mean i'm taking him but usually like lately i've been really testing it (laughs) like so i've let him go a lot of times at the end of round one which is where he goes and i'll just take the receiver yeah and then they'll let him come back around to me and i'm like okay right i'll take him at the beginning of round easily not not taking him at the end of round one all the time like i was early on now early on, he was the number two running back. Yeah. And that was something I had a real problem with and talked a lot about how awesome like Eckler should absolutely be above, you know, Bijan, you know, as far as like who we're taking in the first round. But I have some of the same, I have some of the same concerns. We know the range of outcomes is, is like the high end on them is elite for Bijan. If yeah. Arthur Smith just says, Nope, I don't think Tyler Elgier is good. And I don't care about Cordell Patterson anymore. And I want to use Bijan Robinson the way I did Derek Henry. Beautiful. he, he could, He could be the running back one yeah like he could be the running back one so that upside is there however arthur smith has shown us that he will do very perplexing things um like not having kyle pitts on the field not having drake london on the field and and an offense that just didn't really have a lot of weapons like that i I think actually arthur smith is a good um play caller i think he's good at sequencing plays i think he, he we give him a hard time but my main issue with him is the perplexing things he does with his talent, especially yeah. on a team that doesn't have a lot of it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I could see a scenario where B. John Robinson, you know, gets 55% of the rushing attempts. So there is some floor here. Like I haven't projected at 65, like the high end would be 75, but I've got Algier at 22%. I've got Cordell Patterson at 8%. And I've got Cordell Patterson, though, taking 40% uh, of the routes, Yep. you know which means Bijan's not going to be out there for 65% like a lot of people are projecting. Like I think that's a real spot and people are falling into the trap right now, man. They're moving Bijan all over the formation. Guys, they do that with every freaking player. Yep. In in yep. mini camps. Every guy has to be even if they're only going to run a route from the slot five times all season, they still have to practice it. Yeah. It doesn't mean because the beat that's the thing they let the beat reporter see and you're hearing about like it doesn't or mean punt returns Rodgers. or something like that yeah yes it's just like god it drives me nuts but anyway like bijan the upside is that they just let him roll right it's, 60 70 yeah. of the rushing attempts he's the primary passing down back it is all on the table and that could give you the wide that running back one overall upside but i think tyler algier showed enough last year and quarter patterson has shown enough over the last couple of years that and we've seen Atlanta be willing to use a rotation. And guys, they're gonna run the ball a lot. So when you have the other guys and you know you can help keep your other player fresh that you just invested a high-end first round pick in, I think there's a lot of ways that this could go a little bit wrong for Bijan. Yeah. I think you'll still be happy with him, but you'll be looking at it going, hmm, like was it really worth like my first round pick? I, I, yeah. I think you could be concerned. Look, I'm still happy to take him at the end of the first. I've gotten so much of him. That I have been diversifying a little bit, but I'm totally with you on the question. Yeah, because I mean in
0: long build formats for for Dynasty, he's my number six player overall, my number one running back on the board. Like if you're drafting to build a dynasty team, Bijan Robinson should be among your top six players. That's that's my Yeah, top. I think you
1: can make an argument he's number one. Like you I could think, if yeah. you
0: if you're depending on your league type for sure. So let's just kind of quick hit some of these. Um give me like a player you're lower on and just like maybe, you know, 10, 15 seconds as to why.
1: Yeah. Juju is my biggest one. And I, I just don't think he's very good to be honest. Like his, his data really suggests that he's a wide receiver four or five fantasy kind of player, like his target earning and everything. And, you know, he's obviously got injury stuff going on. The other thing is he hasn't really been able to practice yet. I'm also concerned, like, how's the offense going to work? Right. You've yep. got Mike Gaseki who's a slot player. You got Juju Smith, who's a slot player. You've got Kendrick Bourne, who's more of a slot Z kind of. Re- These guys are all fighting for the same role in an offense that might not be very good. So I'm 27 spots below ADP on Juju. There you go.
0: All right. So I'm going to give you three players in quick fashion that I'm uncertain about, but I want to end it with the player that I'm most uncertain about, um, but I'm also highest on. So. Curtis Samuel I'm uncertain about. I have not projected pretty high right now, but the how much, whether it's Jacoby Brissett or Sam Howell, depending on how well Howell plays to begin the year um, is a big question mark. I wonder about whether or not Jahan Dotson is gonna make that big of a, you know, is gonna have the growth to really cut into what Samuel does or whether this offense can support multiple guys. And then um, Samaje Ryan. I'm I've always been a Samaje Ryan fan. I think with Javante Williams, like you mentioned, there's questions about him in Denver. I think I heard you say this, and I love the comparison of like saying he's a Pierre Thomas type back, um, in terms of how he'll be used. And I see and I'm high on P. Ryan because I see him getting the red zone role and getting the green zone touches where he could have 10 touchdowns, and if you if you and but that makes his projecting that doesn't give me a lot of confidence to say that a lot of his you know value is going to come in the red zone off of touchdowns um, you know so that's that's one there. and then Devonte Adams um, love, you know obviously one of the great route runners in the game, but when I see Josh McDaniel get rid of Derek Carr, who was who Adams wanted to play with. I look at them bring in Jimmy Garoppolo bring in um Jacoby Myers and then bring in (laughs) Philip Dorsett and I think huh what's red white and blue and cylindrical and sitting in in uh you know or actually what's black silver and black and and sitting in the in the New England Patriots office and that's a you know trash can with the Oakland Raiders insignia on it or the Las Vegas Raiders insignia on it and I just think this is a guy in Josh McDaniels who is so scheme attached to his um you know ego attached to his scheme that he maybe loses sight of the value of the actual personnel that executes it and it's gonna just bring in some of my guys Jimmy Garoppolo I'm sorry he's not a good quarterback he's a good he's a good quarterback he's not a good NFL starting quarterback he's just below competent, if you ask me, unless he has a great team around him and then he's just above competent. Um, you know, and I and I just look at that and I think those are it's hard. I just see this as being a potential disaster where Adams will want out by midseason and him and McDaniels have a massive blow up. Um but the guy I'm most uncertain about, who I have fourth in my rankings right now. And it's it looks ridiculous to me, but I'm just staying true to, to it because it's early July. Cam Akers. Cam Akers is my number four back, um, just above Nick Chubb. I watched that guy's tape last year with a bum offensive line and no quarterback to speak of. And he looked fantastic. He was such a good decision maker. What he was doing looked like the Cam Akers you were hoping he would become out of Florida State. I was so impressed with what I saw as a player and now that I look at with Matthew Stafford back the offensive line I'm not seen much better than you know much mode for improvement there which is the biggest concern for me and whether McVay will actually lean on Cam Akers enough. I know Sony Michelle's back, but I think that's more of a coach on the field with some of the young guys that they have, especially when you think of, you know, Kyron Williams who is a borderline NFL running back with some receiving skills. Ronnie Rivers is probably a better all around back if you ask me um, whether they, they realize it or not. I'm a huge Zach Evans fan um, as a player, as a talent. Um, and I think he could be what people hoped Sony Michel would be before they, they found out about the injuries. But uh, Akers, to me, could be a huge cog in this offense. And if you, you know, you look at that offense right now and it's Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, And then I have to think that Akers could wind up being, you know, that all-around player who could give you that upside.
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, yeah, you're 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 making me super nervous though, where you got him ranked. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's yeah, unbelievably
0: no. high. It's nervous for me when I look at it.
1: Yeah, it. The challenge for Akers, you know, and while he did look better last year, he still, when you compare like his measurable stuff, is like it, it's not elite. Right. And so I worry about that. I also worry just about McVeigh. He and McVeigh are like Ross and Rachel, like on friends, on again, <laughs> off again. Like, the, you know, it's so frustrating. Um, and so, and then I look at the offense. Like, I, I have Cam Akers more like in my RB20 range. I just think yep. there's too many questions. I think the ceiling case is that that depth chart is terrible. The Rams get better and he gets everything. And even if he's not like super, super efficient, like he, you know, could score 10, 12 touchdowns and you're super happy that you have him on your roster. But I just, I think there's a lot of other ways that it potentially goes wrong. And some of my biggest mistakes I've made historically have been honestly, whenever I've looked at a backfield and be like, well, none of these other guys can get any carries. Like, so I'm just going to put them all here. Um, unless it was a player with absolute bonkers talent, then I would always feel better about that. Um, like I feel way better about. I would feel better about saying Nick Chubb gets eighty percent, right of of the Browns' offense because he's so good versus Cam Akers getting like sixty percent. So it's that's a challenge for me. But I, I I think you've got him graded at his. I think your forecast that's a ceiling projection, right? It I is. think if if I am looking at a median projection, I bring him down from there. But I think you are certainly talking about the case uh, of what happens if everything goes right for him. And I will say, watching him. Um, he did look like a player that honestly he looked very just very motivated. Yeah, <laughs> you know it was kind of like I finally got my chance again. I'm not gonna take it for granted. I don't want to let my coach take me off the field. Is what it felt like. Yeah,
0: I think if Zach if Zach Evans has a strong camp, um, Cam Akers is is moving down a fair bit for me. He'll probably be running back 18 to running back. You know, somewhere around. Well, the beauty
1: is range. of this: no one has to draft them him that high. But Not with remotely. you saying what you're saying, he should just be a priority in like your round seven. That's like right. You can get Cam Akers right. right now in round seven of drafts. Yeah,
0: because I see him. I see his upside is getting about 325 touches. You know, overall, um, and I don't think it's on. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect him to get 30 catches in this offense. Um, I don't think he's going to be a 50-catch player. But if he is a 50-catch player, look out, you know, if he's getting 50 or more. He did
1: get more involved in the passing game last year. And yeah. it's going to happen because you don't have three weapons anymore. You just have Cooper Cup. Yeah. And then you have Tyler Higby is really the second best thing, right? Then yeah. it's Van Jefferson. Yeah. Um, and then after that, like, I think Pukenna it probably Kool. is – maybe 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 but i mean like is he even going to get on the field enough i don't know like so anyway i think there's a chance that acres is the third fourth target you know in the offense i think that that is in his range of uh of outcomes again because like you don't have to be the best receiving back ever if your quarterback doesn't have other options that just moves Mm -hmm. you up in the pecking order so i've got him projected for 29 catches uh and and that's my median projection so being conservative yeah, I have him for thirty-one, two hundred and eighty one yards. And
0: and honestly, I think he's a natural ball catcher. I thought he was one of the best ball catchers in his class coming out at the running back position. So anybody else that you were uncertain of, or are we are we gonna call it quits today?
1: No, yeah, I think I think I think we've hit them all, yeah. to be honest. Uh, yeah, but this has been good. I love the Samaj P. Ryan thing. Um like that that is a guy that I've been drafting quite a bit. I get the uncertainty. I think the other, you got to think about all the ranges. The other nice thing with Samaji is really early in the year, I do expect it to be a big ramp-up time for Javante Williams. Like, I think you're probably going to get weeks where he's not playing, and then you're going to move into a phase of where they start to ramp him up. And my guess is, it's more like a J.K. Dobbins thing where the ramp-up is never, hey, you're going to get full Javante this year. So I think this year especially, P Ryan probably picks up even once Javante's back, a larger role than what we would typically expect um, because of just the nature of what you know, the Broncos are dealing with. And we've just seen Sean Payton willing to do that in the past. So it all really makes a lot of sense. And if for some reason Javante creates one of those comp- you know, compensatory injuries you talked about, you're, and later in the season, you might pick up a three- or four-game stretch where it's just Pirine. So Pirine. Um, and I think, Bron- I think the Broncos will be – they're my pick to be the most improved offense in the NFL this year. I just think people are too quick to jettison on Russell Wilson. I know he's a goofball, but I mean, this still is a guy that was a high-end quarterback very recently, yeah, right? And to, to think that one year he's completely done and washed, and now you get to pair him with Sean Payton, one of the best play callers in the game. Um, and last year, the receivers were, all, were never healthy together. You lost Tim Patrick before the season started. Cortland Sutton was on and off the field playing injured. Jerry Judy was on and off the field playing injured. Uh, Greg Dolchett started to kind of show something then he got hurt and he didn't get to start the season because he was hurt so any combination of those guys are just on the field together now you sprinkle in some Denzel Mims and you get P Ryan working in the screen game I just you know I, I think there was a ton of upside for the Broncos offense and uh, I, I've drafted a lot of Russell Wilson because like, like he goes he goes in like round 13 14 yeah. every,
0: every, everybody's been shitting on Russell Wilson for, on one level to the next from the time he got into the league and, you know, it just got to a fever pitch last year. I, I certainly wrote a lot about it, saying it was a bunch of cool kids at the lunch table who who were upset. And I've, I've joked that, you know, I mean, the reason one of the leading people, one of the leading people who was led this charge was just upset and literally said on national TV or on his podcast, Kyle Brandt, that he was, that a lot of this stemmed from the fact that That Russell Wilson wouldn't grant him an interview with Sierra at a red carpet event because his wife was tired and he was trying to protect his wife's thing but then went on to like bash him on NFL network like the next day you know talking about how he was a phony And it would just hit the fever pitch. And it's just like, I don't care whether he was a phony or not. I just care about whether he can play. The subway
1: commercials didn't help him.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't care. You know, it's like, I don't care about that. I just care what he does on the field. And when you look at what he did on the field.
1: He got hot at the end of the year. He started feeling it.
0: At the beginning of the year, too, there were were multiple drops. I charted those games. There were multiple drops of very accurate passes and multiple touchdowns likely touchdowns dropped in you know and not even on the same drive like in different drives that would have had the outcomes of games be different and his production be different so you know at the end of the day when all of that stuff happened that you described it's hard for a quarterback not to wind up like um packing it in a bit or just not playing well you know overall because everything's springing a leak so yeah i'm with you uh you know we you know but we've profiled Wilson a lot when we've done shows in the past together so folks folks know that you know we we have a, a healthy respect for what he can do on the field when things are working out but things always work out when we get together so this has been a you know this has been a terrific show and i appreciate your the generosity of your time for our, for our listeners to once again get to to hear our thoughts on these players and you can find Dwayne at fantasy life course at Dwayne McFarland on Twitter. You can find me at Matt Waldman on Twitter and of course at footballguys.com. And, uh, you know, I just heard, I just t- turned to Twitter real quickly and saw Jay Moyer talking about AI and it made me laugh. So we'll, uh, we'll, you know, that's a little, <laughs> that little message for Dwayne in our conversation before this show. See y'all later.